I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move Good day out there in the land of I like to movie movie my name is Dan Scully and as you can tell by the soft NPR like tone of my voice this week we're gonna do something a little more laid back we've got a great interview coming up with next week's show um, you'll remember two episodes prior we talked about Forgotten Silver the film made by Costa Botez and Peter Jackson and Costa Botez heard that episode and is going to be appearing on the show to do an in-depth interview about his career, about filmmaking, and um, potentially about Power of the Dog. We'll see, because we do have differing opinions on that movie. After that, I'm going to be going into some deep dives. I put a survey out online, and I thank everybody who responded to it, and it seems that deep dives and interviews are the direction that we want to take the show. Um, I have some other ideas coming up. This last couple weeks, however, have been quite busy for me between training for positions at work and uh, just genuinely trying to survive and manage my life amidst a lot of really fun things that I have coming up in it. Uh, has put a little bit of a damper on my writing pace. But, when it's done, <clears throat> I have a lot of cool stuff coming up for you. But in the meantime, we're going to do a little catch-up here. We're going to talk a little bit about what I've been watching, what I've been reading, maybe what I've been listening to, and we're all going to do it in a nice, soft, NPR kind of way. Because yesterday, I was somewhat audited at work my process was audited so i had to spend nearly eight hours describing every step of what i do throughout the day and uh it caused me to lose some of my voice but here's the thing it's also the week of 420 we all know this is a monumentous occasion every year 420 being the day that stoners all get together and do stonerific things such as drugs and watching movies and stuff and as a result i think we're gonna have a nice low-key 420 spectacular with tonight's show so before we get started as always please follow the show at movie movie cast on twitter on instagram and look up i like to movie movie on whatever your internet look or thing is gonna be uh be it google bing Ask Jeeves, Webcrawler, Alta Vista, GeoCities, I don't know, whatever it is that you use. Check out I Like to Movie Movie. Subscribe, listen, leave a comment, tell your friends, you know, listen to it as loud as you want, listen to it quiet, press play, turn the volume all the way down. Don't even listen to it, just give me that give me that sweet, sweet, sweet data. I think that's the way to go. So Happy 420, everybody. I think uh, in honor of that moment, we should all take a moment of silence. And by silence, I mean there will be a click noise, followed by a slow inhale, followed by maybe a cough, maybe not. 
like I said, my throat is very raw. So please, everybody, join me in worshiping the Rasta gods. Uh, congratulations to my uh, home state of New Jersey, who the day after 420, in perfect New Jersey fashion, saw fit to legalize weed recreationally, which is huge. I honestly thought that it would come to Pennsylvania first. It did not, but I bet it is soon to follow, which means I won't have to go to a doctor in order to occasionally smoke weed legally. Let's have that moment of silence right about now. Happy 420, ladies and gents. How's that feel? We all mellow? Everybody mellowed out a little bit? Here comes a big cough. <coughs> so what I'm working with here, it's called... What is it called? It's a hybrid. Oh, and it has a name. Oh no, it seems the name is covered up. It usually has a name. Well, it's, it's packaged in smalls format. Smalls being uh, little tiny bits of weed. Not quite shake, not quite full-on flower, but it is a flower form. And uh, basically what I'm doing is I'm trying to uh, peel this label off so that I can see what the full labeling is. Because it says, peel here. Is there anything under it? Oh, it's just a breastfeeding warning. I don't think I have to worry about that anytime soon. But this is a brand that's put together by Cure Leaf. I think being that it's smalls, it's probably just a mix of stuff that was left over. Uh, on my other side, I have a little bit of uh, rye bourbon. Uh, it's Redemption Rye Bourbon. Um, I don't have the bottle near me. I just have it over here on the rocks. I like it so far. I bought it yesterday. It wasn't the cheapest. It wasn't the most expensive. I don't typically dig rye when I can just have bourbon. I typically go like bourbon, rye. I know people love scotch. I like scotch, but it's a little, a little too medicine-y for me. A little bit too medicine-y, but you know, I'm not above it. And I've had scotches actually done in a uh, sort of like a mix, which is pretty cool. All right, guys, so cheers to you. To the people who aren't partaking in 420 festivities, let's partake in some boozing. So a little cheers. I'll, I'll cheers this water bottle to give you the audio sound. I hope you heard that. According to the data on my Audacity, shout out Audacity, making it easy for me to record, uh, you did hear that cling. So that's a cheers. Hmm. Pretty tasty. Pretty tasty. I guess we could talk about a little bit of news. Um, a kind of funny thing happened. You know, we all know how film Twitter is, and I try to act above it, but I guess I'm just as guilty as everybody else in the way that we react to certain things. Um, a few days ago, Variety, or was it not Variety? No, it was The Ringer. The Ringer put out a list of the top 50 rom-coms of all time of all times, since the beginning of film. But despite making that broad, sort of clickbaity uh, appeal, 
they only listed movies from 1980 forward. And it's a shame because earlier in the century, there are some really, really great rom-coms. And uh, people got really, really mad and accused the writers at The Ringer of being incurious. And while that's not inaccurate, and while a better article could be had, um, the vitriol <laughs> with which it was handled was really stunning to me. People were very... Uh, it, it was almost as if there's some sort of cultural clout that the ringer.com has that I, I don't know about. Um, but suddenly they're the canon of all things film, and this article represents the actual best 50 uh, rom-coms of all time. So it was funny, and I think that uh, business, business as usual happened. Everyone got kind of mad. Um, everyone was kind of like snippy and mean about it. Uh, the article itself is like, it's like a fun read, you know? I, I didn't expect it to actually be wholly encapsulated. It's the ringer. Um, they are not the canon in any way. But everybody was very, uh, very, very, we were, we were on the high test on that one. What I didn't see and what I thought was disappointing was uh, a lot of the people who are like really, really, really mad are, you know, people who work for high quality publications and it would have been very interesting and who knows maybe it'll happen as of yet maybe by the time this episode goes up of uh you know a better list or here's 50 rom-coms from before 1980 that uh could have been contenders for that incomplete list it was just an odd amount of vitriol and, and it seemed nobody took the initiative to write one unfortunately for me this is gonna be this is heathenry here i only have a limited knowledge of said rom-coms um so i might feel differently about this if i had a little bit more of a connection to these movies so perhaps the vitriol is more warranted than i'm saying but i don't know it just seemed weird like uh reading the article it was like a fun read and that's something that that you know i don't want to say is missing i'm not going to be that guy because there's plenty of fun reading out there um there was just a, it just seemed weird that nobody was like, oh, I'll make another fun list that's just as readable, just as clickable. But, uh, you know, business as usual, and if, I don't know if uh, if it would be the ringer's plan to come up with something that causes Streisand effect to happen. Streisand. Streisand. Uh, but who knows? But uh, I hope that it leads to me learning a little bit more about some of those earlier movies. And, uh, you know, somebody more schooled in them than I to uh, put out a, another list that has some cool stuff. Because I would love to see it. Uh, when I was in London a few years back, uh, oh, remember travel. And um, I went to the BFI a couple times. One of the things that I saw there was His Girl Friday. I don't know if that's necessarily a rom-com, but it's definitely a com and there's some rom elements. And it was one of those things that I saw just to see a movie while I was in London. And it ended up being something that was very much a favorite. So uh, if anyone would like to uh, elevate the profile of an old rom-com from before 1980, uh, get at me. I would love to, I would love to see more because that's an admitted blind spot for me. But uh, I'm just glad we can all breathe. I'm trying to think if there's any other news. Uh, there's the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial. Uh, this is another one of those things that is a fascinating microcosm of how we do things in in hollywood um you know it it's 
we got one case overseas that goes in favor of Amber Heard. This one seems to be going more in favor of Depp. And since we're a big old society of binary thinkers, um, everyone's got to take one side. And I, I think uh, personally, and this is with no knowledge of, of marriage counseling or anything like that, I just think that it was clearly an abusive relationship in all directions. And if I was a judge, I would be like, I sentence you to ten more years with one another, because that is precisely what you deserve. No, that's they don't deserve that. I hope that uh I hope that they get the help they need, and I hope that like Tom Cruise did before them, what Will Smith is going to do, and what these two will do as well is is just get to work. You love to see it, you know, like you know, we've I've said on this show before, like, uh, Stallone's a much better actor when he's not trying to be a superstar. And, you know, at least in terms of, like, Depp and Will Smith, these guys are superstars that are actually really good actors. Um, I don't know if I'd call Amber Heard a superstar, but, like, she's, she's from what I've seen, she's a good actress. So after, uh, after like, mild controversy, not mild, but, uh, you know, after whatever their controversies are and how they shake out, I think we will see them getting back to work. And if you can... If that's the sort of thing you support, you might get some good stuff out of it. So that's kind of cool. All right. Let's talk about some of the cool stuff that I've been watching. So everybody take a deep breath. Mellow out. I wish I could do like, uh, uh, what's that show called? Desert Oracle. If you've never listened to it, listen to it. You know, it's out there and it's weird. But the guy's got a nice, like, barbecue sauce voice. And he talks about the airwaves going over the desert. And it has that analog feel of, like, Art Bell and all that. I want to create that right now with you. I don't have the tools to do it. I have enough cotton mouth that it's becoming a problem for me to operate on a whisper. And I am trying desperately not to squeak my squeaky desk. Because I was told that you can hear some squeaks in the podcast, and that upsets me. But I am somebody who vibrates. So instead of vibrating, let's vibe. We vibing? So everyone breathe in. Hold that shit. Hold it. You can hold it. Maybe don't do this if you're driving. Breathe out. Take a little time. Some me time for you. For me. For us. Here we go. Breathe in again. Hold it. Feel all that delicious oxygen going into your blood. Oh, making it bright red. Exhale. Do we feel it? Do we feel strong? Let's do one more. And what we're going to do is we're going to hold it. And then while we hold that breath, I'm going to take a sip of water. A sip of bourbon. We'll swallow and then we'll exhale together. Can you guys do that with me? If you're the type of person who will enjoy this thing, so let's do it. So it's going to be deep inhale, hold, take a little water, take a little of your choice beverage, swallow, savor, savor, exhale. Here we go. So we'll do one deep breath, and then we're going to do the hold one. So breathe in and out. One more, pull it in. You know what to do. Here's the water. Here comes the baby. 
How are we feeling? Are we feeling mellow? Are we feeling like Desert Oracle? I do recommend that show. It's a lot of fun if you're into that sort of thing. I wish I had like cool southwestern guitar to play over this. If I could get like, you know, Robert Rodriguez on his guitar to do his score work, that kind of feel. But like real slow, maybe a little more electric. Yeah, we in that vibe. People getting abducted by aliens left and right, but no squeaking desks. None of that. So this is being recorded on the night of the RuPaul's Drag Race season 14, I believe it is, finale. And we're going to talk about that a little bit because uh, that's another reason why I'm kind of having a little party episode. Is because tonight Jenna and I are going to grill out on the porch and watch the finale. So we're down to a couple queens, a couple ladies left. I am currently rooting for Willow Pill. But I'd also be equally as happy with Lady Camden. All said, I think that it's anybody's game, and I'd be happy with any of them. This is a really good season of good queens. Even the ones that dipped out early, you know, had personality and were fun. And, like, no one seems like a... No one... To me, no one seems like an asshole. Um, even, like... Uh, was it Jasmine who was like the season's asshole in a way? Like I think she was a victim of of one personal circumstances as were elucidated upon in the show, and two we all know what happens with a bad edit when it comes to both TV and film. And one one of the fun things about watching reality TV after falling into the world of obsessing over film is you start to see these little tricks. As you understand certain edits, music swells, things like that, that can facilitate how you subconsciously feel about something in a movie. If you look at it, if you look at an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race, you can see that writ large. There are certain sound effects, like the, <laughs> like the shady rattlesnake that comes out whenever something shady happens in an edit. And what you can look at, if you're a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race, or if you're a fan of any reality TV... Um, I imagine this proves true across the board, but I think that it, uh, it I can only confirm with RuPaul because it's the only one that I watch. And you'll notice before they go on commercial break on RuPaul's Drag Race that they'll show like a queen hits the stage with a certain look. And then Ru will just be like, ooh, that's a big, you know, you know, they, they boot it instead of toot it. And then, when you watch it unfold on the actual episode, rather than in the after-the-break segment, literally the exact opposite is what happens. Rue's catty response was actually in response to something else entirely, and the outfit in question in the after-the-break segment is actually getting tooted. Uh, and it's an interesting thing, but I would say, at least on Rue, 100% of the time, what happens on the after the break is the literal opposite of what actually happens in regards to the look being presented. And it's really funny that the edit, it looks clean. It looks as if that's their response. It looks as if that's what's what's happening for real. And so you see these falsities pile up, but damn it, I get wrapped up in RuPaul's Drag Race. It's so good, and so we're rooting for Willow. By the time you listen to this, you will know who the winner is. I have a hanker and suspicion that it might be Willow, and I think a lot of that has to has to do with the fact that Ru loves saying Willow's name, and it probably takes a lot to, uh, to get the fracking queen to say, 
to not want to say, and the winner is Willow Pill. She wants to do it. She wants to do it so bad. Sorry, guys. I lost my train of thought there. <clears throat> so what have you been watching lately? Interesting. Thank you for speaking with me. Um, I watched something really cool. I recently got the Death Game Blu-ray that um, Grindhouse Pictures put out, Grindhouse Releasing. It's absolutely fantastic. I'd seen Knock Knock. I've been talking about Death Game and how much I want to see it, how badly I wanted to watch it. And an interesting thing happened. I watched Death Game. I loved Death Game. But I think that I like Knock Knock better. And I know in some areas of the world, people don't like Eli Roth, and I get it. But I gotta say, I'm a fan. And since I'm a fan, I really like what he was doing with uh, with Knock Knock. I, I just realized something. I have my headphones on for no fucking reason, because I'm not listening to anybody. It just kind of tunes me out. But I think that's why I don't hear the desk squeaking. Okay, anyway, so... First off, the Death Game release is beautiful. Second off, that movie is absolutely fucking crazy. Starring Mrs. Clint Eastwood herself. And that was so disrespectful because now I don't remember her name. Oh, son of a go-ba-da-ba-dope. Death Game. I should have had this ready. I was looking at my notebook. Not Game of Death. Death Game, IMDb. Sandra Locke. That's what I'm talking about giving an utterly demented performance, you bastard. Um, I think the reason I like Knock Knock better is that it comes to... Uh, maybe it's just more in tune with my time. Maybe that's all it is. But also, I gotta say, I, I am mixed about the very, very end of Death Game. Um, something happens that sort of uh, closes the loop on a bad character getting comeuppance. And it's really sudden, and it's really gnarly, and it's extremely mean-spirited. And so for that criteria, I'm a huge fan. But taken as a whole with the movie, I think it like undercuts something thematically about it. But I also don't know if I'm overthinking the movie. Because it really is just two, two ladies, you know, essentially rape and torture a guy. And uh, now, one of the things that I think is uh, interesting about both Knock Knock and Death Game is that at the end of the day, our protagonists, if we're going to call them that, how they are doomed to be found has enough wild elements to it that I think they can pretty much get themselves off the hook in regards to their family and infidelity. And honestly, I think that they should. I do think that what occurs in both of these movies is essentially a rape. Um, because at least in terms of Knock Knock, I think there is commentary on the idea of just because you, you, just because you were eventually, you eventually appeared to be into it doesn't mean that you weren't taken advantage of, you know? And I think that that's what's in the subtext of these movies. Mm. Water. And I think more so in Knock Knock. But honestly, I would have to, I would have to watch death game again to really figure out where i land on that ending because it's sudden and it's surprising so to recontextualize the movie with that in mind is a tall order without a second viewing and i have not given it one yet but this package that they put out is uh, that grindhouse releasing put out is absolutely phenomenal it's beautiful and the uh the menu has this this ridiculously oh it's a creepy song my good old dad uh 
kid singing about their dad, but it just has like a real spooky feel to it because it has a, you know, it sings about how my good old dad, he's the guy that teaches me to be right and to be good, but he also teaches me how to take a bath and wash behind my ears. And, you know, there's little things like that and, you know, daddy, daddy, that kind of shit. And if you've seen Death Game or Knock Knock, you understand that that sort of thing ties in. But I'll tell you what, that is one of the... That is one of the wildest movies I've ever seen in terms of sheer escalation and, uh, oh, the poor Kibby. The poor Kibby Dibby. That made me want to scritch my cat. Um, I went and saw RRR, or is it called Rrr, or is it called Rise, Revolt, Roar? Um, I don't have the answer to this question, but I went to see it and... I gotta say, the the event nature, and I believe it's Fathom Events that puts these on, of uh, these Indian cinema uh, being presented in all their typically extremely long glory in America, the event aspect of it really is a lot of fun. Um, I went out to the Cinemark in West Philly one Sunday morning, or Saturday morning to see it, figuring you gotta go morning because it's a three, yeah, I wanna say it's like three hours, ten minutes, something like that. And it's a, uh, it's a long-ass movie, but what's cool about it is because there's an event aspect to it, there is an intermission. The theater honors a 15-minute intermission, which I wish I knew uh, going in beforehand, which I should have known because they always do, but I peed at one part, but I don't believe I missed anything, and even if I did, it was such a small percentage, but it was the worst. Usually, there's a bathroom that's, like, close to your theater, this was the furthest theater from the bathroom and you know no love lost to the cinemark in in west philly i they're a pretty clean operation as far as i've been able to tell but like this like it's down the hall and to come back you got to go all the way down the hall to the first theater because it's down by the last theater and then this theater is elevated above another one so you have to go up like a winding staircase so if you're going to the bathroom, like you can't do, uh, you know, one of those like like, twenty three second just like sprint and squirts. And I'm real good at those. And shout out AMC and Center City, because you guys are very good about bathroom placement and bathroom frequency. You don't have to go all the way around. Um, but I don't think I missed anything. And honestly, my plate was full at the end of RRR. One of the cool things about Indian cinema is that it is shamelessly melodramatic. There's typically a musical number, dance number, or two. Uh, the action is usually absolutely incredible, and it's based around, you know, with the caveat that it looks cheap, but the effects are typically employed well. Like, if you see Anthiran, uh, Robot, that movie has a crazy budget, you know, relative to the budgets that you know, are, are provided for Indian cinema, at least when it came out. And you're watching it and going, yeah, this kind of looks poopy, but the imagination is really incredible with this action. And RRR can be, or her, we'll call it, uh, can be accused of the same sort of thing. It was really a lot of fun. And, like, like there's a, a definitely abolishing, we gotta abolish the electric slide, the cha-cha slide, uh, I think that's it for now. Um, yeah, electric slide, cha-cha slide. We should abolish them from weddings and replace them with the natu. N-A-A-T-U. Uh, it's the first and most incredible dance number in the movie, and it is unlike anything you've ever seen. 
And then the closing credits, which is another big dance number with, with lyrics and stuff, appears to be a form of crazy political propaganda that I don't have the context to understand, complete with giant, giant busts of who I'm assuming are political and religious leaders and the leads of our movie singing about how things are going to be victorious and and just everything's going to be great forever on account of what has been said by the people who make our the decisions in our world it, it was the strangest thing but honestly you, you know where i stand on these things i really don't give a shit the movie kicked so much ass there's there and they do this thing where one guy is sort like sort of they do this thing where one guy is represented by fire and one guy is represented by ice or water, so like hot and cold. And so the way that they that they fight, you know, one guy will have, you know, a torch and the other guy will have the fountain, a hose from a fountain. It's crazy. But the best part of the movie happens before the movie starts. And it's when a warning comes up on screen that says, just so you know, there's none of the animals in this movie are are real so the crazy things that we do on the backs of animals is uh, it's all pretend it's all computer generated and it's a good thing because digital animals are used with abandon and a lot of them are used in ways that are majestic looking and a lot of them are dispatched in ways that are fucked up and hardcore um the most notable thing that happens is when a, a circus car, we'll call it, is that the right thing? Uh, filled with, I'm just thinking of Barnum's animals, like a cart like that is unleashed upon a wedding party and the animals go nuts. One guy kicks another dude into the path of what, what appears to be an elk and that elk's uh, antler goes through this guy's like upper arm bicep area and uh, it's pretty goddamn metal. But, uh... I'm hesitant to use the term Bollywood because I don't know if this is officially a Bollywood movie, but you know what I mean. Um, we love a good Bollywood movie, and this one's really good. And there was a couple trailers attached to it for other imports that would be coming, and one of them seemed like a musical Rocky. It was a boxing story, so my eyes are fucking peeled. And what was cool... A little bourbon here. Ooh, that was gross. I I had like a hiccup as I drank, and I totally inhaled half of that. Oh, gross, dude. I'm sorry I did that to you guys, but I'm going to leave that in, because that's really fucking hilarious. Oh, god damn it. God damn. Son of a bitch. I promised that this was going to be like a soft, cool thing, but I guess it's just not in me. I'm going to start yelling. I'm going to start screaming. It's who I am. It's, it's just what we're going to do. Oh, man, I lost my train of thought because bourbon just went into my nasal cavity. And, whoa, I always think of Bradley Cooper when he gets punched in the face in the A-Team, which was a fun movie. He goes, good morning, and that's how I feel right now. Oh, goddamn. Ooh, I needed that. I needed that. RRR is just it's so good and so i want to see this boxing movie when it comes out and i hope that's an it's an event because when i got to the theater i was not the only one there on a saturday afternoon seeing an indian three-hour epic but there was people there who uh at least appeared to demographically match the movie and so it was like kind of cool that they're seeing a movie in their language um 
there, you know, there was like, it's West Philly, so there was like college students there. There was one guy who in intermission was like running his mouth. Uh, he was a younger guy, so he was just trying to be like loud and funny. And so I tried not to get too old man mad at him because uh, I was him rather recently. So, uh, and he was actually pretty funny, a good timing. But uh, he lost me a little bit. He was like, man, Zack Snyder couldn't do slow motion like this. And I just don't even know where to begin with that because it's the, the what I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Zack Snyder could not do slow motion like this. What? What? I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't get it. But uh, either way, it was a really good time, and we all had a lot of laughs. And you know, and when I found out that there was an intermission, I was able to enjoy my beverage without having to think about the capacity of my bladder. It was a nice uh, pineapple kombucha. It was very good. What else have I watched recently? Oh, so after... After Comic-Con, which, shout out to, at that nerdy Kev on Twitter, you should follow that guy, I did a panel at Comic-Con where we just kind of talked about the history of Kevin Smith movies. After that, I decided, since my better half was away for the night, to go see Morbius. I don't know how to tell this story without sounding insensitive, so I'm just gonna do it. And, um... But anyway, so I went to see Morbius, and uh, one sentence review would be that uh, it's insane that Jared Leto thought he had to go through all of that for this. But uh, so I get there, it's a Saturday night, it's the downtown movie theater at the gallery, and so the crowd at the gallery in Philadelphia, if you're not familiar, on a Friday night, is high school kids hanging out at the mall because it's a place to hang out. Again, I used to be this person. And uh, the theater was, like, pretty packed. And uh, I pop in, and the crowd is about 80% high school kids hanging out at the mall. And I was like, ooh, this does not bode well. They're all going to be on their, their phones and chatting. and But also, it's Morbius, so maybe that's all for the better. We're going to have some fun. And then about 20% Comic-Con runoff. So kids in costumes, adults in costumes that are just kind of killing time because they've been at a con all day. And uh, then there was me. I guess Comic-Con runoff really is, I guess I'd fall in, but I didn't have a costume on. I just had a, I had a shirt. Um, and sure enough, some pants to go with it. And, uh, oh, and I ate the most disgusting Wawa feast before I sat down, but what are you going to do? And uh, But I had a sugar cookie, and I ate that in the theater, and it was a wonderful... Uh, so I sit down for the movie during the trailers. This one guy is like, he's like sassy and co commenting on all the trailers. And he's not particularly funny, but it's the trailer. So I don't really care. But I was like, oh, I hope this doesn't last for the movie. Or maybe it should. It's Morpheus. But then right as the movie started, a middle-aged man who I think had some sort of mental disability sat down a couple seats down for me. And uh, he was a... Uh, I, he was very chatty during the trailers, like, interacting with the characters. And I didn't want to harsh, because, one, it's Morbius. Also, it's the trailers, so I don't care. And, two, you know, it's not this guy's fault. And he just wants to see a movie just like me. And so... All of these preconceived notions that I had... Turns out I'm the dickhead. The audience was fine. There were no phones. Nobody was chatting. 
Nothing went wrong. In fact, the only thing that went wrong was Morbius. I'm not going to say that it's like a bad movie. I think that Daniel Espinosa is a good director. And I think that there's a lot of uh, good choices made on a shot-to-shot basis. But Jared Leto, who I think, despite being an actual crazy person, is very capable of giving a really great performance. And I'll say it, I thought his Joker was at least interesting. At least interesting. It felt very on brand for David Ayer, I'll say that. But alas, we're in the world that we're in. But Jared Leto and Morbius doesn't really do much. It's this weird... He's just kind of this way all the time. Everything is just... I just get the sense that it's Jared Leto and he's just doing Jared Leto things. And Look at my shirt. It's pretty much a cloak. It's what I wear in real life. I'm going to limp to the bathroom and inconvenience everybody for 45 minutes because my limp won't be believable otherwise for fucking Morbius. It's the weirdest thing. And... You know, there's there's some dated effects, like a lot of weird particle physics sort of things. and uh, But there's some cool stuff here. Like, I, I think that there is a cool Morbius movie to be made. And uh, so I just wonder how much of it is producer input, how much of it is just, like, not having the money or the interest behind it as it was being made. I, I couldn't speak to that. But it was uh, it ended up being exactly what I hoped it was for a... Uh, Saturday night at the movies by myself with nothing better to do. And I will say that the guy at the end of the row, uh, it was very funny. Anytime an animal looked like there might be some trauma, that was typically when he said something. And at one point, a cat is introduced into the mix. And the guy at the end of the row just goes, oh, please don't eat that cat. And um, the theater kind of laughed, including me, because it was very funny. And he said it out of, out of genuine care. It was actually really sweet. Um I hope that all of that wasn't horribly offensive. But uh, that was my experience. I saw this movie that... Uh, uh, was it Pittsburgh University? Pitt, you, you Pitt. Uh, uh, screened as part of a public screening of this assembled old George Romero short called Jacaranda Joe. Um, it was very cool. If you're listening to this, there's a very high chance that you, you watch this and I don't need to talk about it. But it's a found footage flick that Romero made with students from the university uh, for his crew and I guess some of the cast and stuff. And so the college put together this uh, really nice little program where a couple people related to the movie talked about it. And uh, then they screened the movie. It was a little choppy on account of how... uh, I think I'm squeaking the fucking desk again! It's a little choppy on account of how many people were connected to the server upon which it was uh, held, but... It, in a lot of ways, that, that uh, work to enhance the found footage feel of it. Because it is a found footage movie. Bourbon sip. It's a found footage movie that takes the form of a talk show. And in the talk show, there it's like a Springer-style talk show. Eh, maybe not Springer, more like a uh, Sally, Jesse, Raphael kind of thing. Or, uh, oh, who was the guy? Oh no, who was the guy? I'm going to remember it. It was the guy, oh, you guys are going to, Some somebody is screaming it at me right now. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to Google daytime talk show hosts 
90s. I think he was the 90s, right? Phil Donahue. You know what's funny? I could I could totally conjure up the name Charles Perez, but uh, not Phil Donahue. Phil Donahue. It feels like that sort of a thing. And it's a talk show that is talking about uh, Jacaranda Joe, a legend of a Bigfoot-style creature uh, that uh, lives in this one town, apparently. And so it's just a segment of that, and at the end of the segment is the footage as presented by a couple of hunters that think that they ran into Jacaranda Joe. And so that's the whole thing. Apparently it was made with the intentions of potentially being a portion of a feature based around Jacaranda Joe, and this would just be a segment of it. But um, alas, it never came to be, and this film was pretty much lost until they put it back together. If I Google, Jock, not Google, if I search Jacaranda Joe in my emails, I can properly, uh, I can properly give credit to the college that did this. It is the University of Pittsburgh. <clears throat> I was correct. And um, Jacaranda Joe, uh, and it was cool. And you guys know I love cryptids. I love found footage. I love George Romero. So this is definitely a very cool thing to see. Um, I would check out the University of Pittsburgh website uh, just uh, because they said something to the effect of that they would be working to make this and other potentially restored Romero movies as part of their like public viewing system. Uh, I guess they're just working out the, the rights and the abilities to do that. So it might be something that you can see either by logging in or by visiting the college. And uh, if only to see Jacaranda Joe, I would highly suggest you keep your finger on the pulse of that. And if I have any other news about that, I will let you know. Um, I, oh man, I watched, uh, I, I went through some Hellraisers because I'm trying to get through all of them before the David Bruckner Hellraiser comes to fruition sometime later this year. I'm assuming by summer. And uh, Hellraiser 3 was probably the best of the... I, I got up to 5. Uh, so Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, is probably the best of the bunch just because it has some cool effects. It still feels of a piece with the, the first two Hellraisers. I do kind of feel like it does close off a nice trilogy for that. Although it does have a uh, like a final sting that is so bonkers I didn't get it at first. Um, what's that guy's name? Is it Peter Atkins? Who wrote and I believe directed this one and kind of like is the pen that keeps the Hellraiser series alive for a little bit. Um, and who uh, I believe wrote Wishmaster, which is one of my favorites. That's a name that I'm glad I learned as of late, and it was because of the Hellraiser series. Hellraiser 4 Bloodline, or Hellraiser Goes to Space, and then doesn't really go to space. It just kind of goes back in time and hangs out with Adam Scott in a period wig. Literally, that's what that's what happens in it. Um, but I gotta say, it's, you know, for the the lackluster reputation of the later entries of hellraiser it was actually quite uh quite interesting to watch and i keep saying interesting it's so boring i i learned better captain fantastic told me not to describe things as interesting and and because the little girl in that movie described the book lolita as interesting and uh i almost said zigo vortens vigo mortensen was like don't say interesting use your words and then she says something radiant and uh but it is interesting because the the, the 
the reputation is is pretty bad and with that reputation in mind i ended up really having a lot of fun with hellraiser 4 the only uh the only thing that's been weird about going through these is i tend to watch them on my ipad while i'm working out and i fear that somebody's looking over my shoulder and seeing hellraiser 4 bloodline and so i try to be protective because i don't want to be like showing everything i don't want to be broadcasting inappropriate shit to the gym but the idea does tickle me that some dude will have like a chain in his head so i was like what is this guy watching as he runs furiously on the elliptical but uh hellraiser 5 inferno was particularly interesting i actually thought this movie was pretty good again all things considered bourbon sip Oh, it's not as good now that I had it in my nose before. I don't like it anymore. Hellraiser Inferno is uh, Scott Derrickson, uh, known for uh, later this year, The Black Phone, as well as Sinister, uh, which is a very scary movie. Um, Hellraiser Inferno is a take on the Hellraiser mythos. I think co-written by him, definitely directed by him. And it's really cool because you can see a lot of... uh, a lot of stuff that comes to fruition later in his career in terms of creature design, in terms of like the way scares are presented, and even just the general tone that is consistent within his horror work. But uh, now here sort of applied to Hellraiser, and it's not a, it's not a mismatch, because it kind of... Yeah, I mean, I think it would be... It would not be inaccurate to say that Derrickson was was not in, was was inspired by you know Hellraiser, so uh, it's a little bit of I think Hellraiser inspiration being cycled back in, and we see that grow later in his career. It's like a police procedural sort of thing, uh, but a guy who's attached to murder, you know, a detective that's attached to murders that stem from the box, uh, but. I, I kind of like this. It looks sharp, considering its budget. It's well-acted, considering its budget. It's got a couple spooky moments, some real creative design. Uh, gave me one of the strangest boners of my life. Uh, I'm definitely I'm into it. It's uh, Hellraiser Inferno. That's where I've stopped. I am going to continue watching the series. Um, this weekend, if you're listening to this, you should have already gone to see The Northman. If you go to scullyvision.com, you can check out my review of it. Uh, the Northman is one of the most kick-ass movies that has ever kicked an ass. Um, just 36-packs abs, people screaming, a sword that's on fire that can only be brandished at night. Uh, horrible, horrible, fucked-up vengeance being dished out upon people who do and don't deserve it. It's complicated, it's hardcore, it's metal as all fuck. It's Robert Eggers. It's, it, it, I mean... If you like The Witch, which you do, if you like The Lighthouse, which you do, you will go nuts for The Northman. It's the most accessible of Eggers' film, Eggers' filmography, film, Eggers' filmography, but uh, it is just as strange. I mean, there's a scene at the beginning where King Ethan Hawke and his son, Prince Amleth, played soon by Peter Skarsgård. Uh, wait, did I say Peter? I was mixing Peter Sarsgaard with Alexander Skarsgård. I meant the latter, Alexander Skarsgård. Um, yeah, it's a Viking vengeance tale. But yeah, him and his dad do a bunch of, like, mushrooms in front of, uh, medicine man Willem Dafoe, because of course, and they prove that they are 
wolf people by burping and farting gloriously. And this is right at the outset. And it's in the middle of like a really great scene that showcases some of the best editing I have ever seen. Um, God damn it, I should have mentioned that in my review. I have the power to edit, but I'm not gonna because I have to stop recording soon and finish writing my review of the unbearable weight of massive talent, which I am disappointed to report was not for me. Um, which is weird because it was made for me. Uh, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't dislike it. I think that there's a funny movie there. I think that there are definitely a handful of like really crazy funny moments, like really crazy funny moments. There's a couple smart references to Nicolas Cage's work, but, um, it's just kind of like a shitty movie. Like it's shoddily made, uh, and I am admittedly a little bit bothered by Nick Cage's perfect, perfectly dyed beard. It's a small bugaboo, but it's one that I've noticed since day one, and now that the movie's out, I'm just going to say it. I don't like the beard. I don't like it. Um, this character of Nick Cage does fit having a beard like that and wearing a beard like that because he is a very image-conscious Nick Cage. And therein lies the rub. I'm going to take a sip of water here. Hi, cat. I hear you meowing. So, this movie is... Shit, I lost my train of thought. Oh, this, this podcast is such a piece of shit. I definitely will be having a better one next week with this interview. Um, oh, I know exactly what I was going to say. Remember a few years back when Christopher Walken realized that he was being funny... Not to say that he didn't realize he was being funny, but that his own existence was a character unto himself. It sort of happened with Werner Herzog as well. You know, everybody kind of becomes that thing. And Nick Cage has become self-aware. That's really what it is. And so the question is, does becoming self-aware uh, rob the joke of its fun? Uh, because No Love Lost to Christopher Walken, I would argue that it did rob the joke of its fun just a little bit. And... I think that this robs the joke of its fun, and it's particularly disappointing to me because it's a joke that was not robbed of its fun back when it was sort of done with adaptation back in, I think, was the 2000 or 2003? Well, don't remember. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's, it tries to be meta and fails to do it at the level of something like say, an adaptation, or, you know, an even more appropriate, a being John Malkovich, which plays upon the weirdness of, the weirdness inherent to the understood cultural legacy of a currently acting actor. But it is funny. It is a funny movie. There's funny things in it. Pedro Pascal and Nicolas Cage have a great rapport. They work well off of one another. They're very funny together. Um but it works better as a trailer than it does as a full movie because the movie tries to be a good action movie and it's not. It should be a good action movie. It should be done on the level of a face-off in order to really embrace that joke. But when it's done as sort of a just cheap, you know, it's done, it's done in, the, in the style of skyscraper, you know, like it's, it's not a, it's not this big, compelling, iconic action movie. And in order for this joke not to jump its own shark, I actually think it really should be. It should be made really, really well. And this movie is made in a green box, as things increasingly are. I don't want to be the old man yelling at a cloud that says that this is bad, because I've seen this often look 
very good. I've seen things like this, and I've seen it applied well, and in certain areas it, it is done, you know, it's the way it should be done and can be done. In some ways it's not, and this is an area where it's not. This movie needed to be an actual action movie. It's just the way that it is. It, it's the only way that the joke works. So the action beats are bad, and as a result, the comedy beats are bad because they're just as pretend. There's a scene where Nick Cage is in the back of a van, being given the, the, the business about this mission he's got to be on by these two agents, played by Tiffany Haddish and Ike Barinholtz. All three of these people are funny people who could sit and yell at a camera and it'll be hilarious. All three of these people are people who, if they were in a room together, I am sure would get the rapport up to a pitch where it's just blindingly funny. This scene is clearly shot with all three people in a separate green box doing their material at the camera and then the scene was assembled after the fact, which did not need to be the case. With all respect to COVID protocol and with all respect to the needs and scheduling of of a movie, especially at a time when it's very hard to make a movie, when you're dealing with a legitimate superstar actor, I understand that sometimes you can't get all your people in the same room. I also understand that a lot of movies are made where actors are acting opposite readers. That is standard practice in the business. But something about three very funny people in a non-environment that's pasted over them after the fact trying to have witty rapport that is created within an edit is like death to comedy. It's absolute death. And it upsets me because everybody says this, and, and I know I'm not really a comedian anymore, but it's very true. Timing beats material every single time. Material is good. And if you have timing and good material, you're unstoppable. You're Chris Rock. You're Ali Wong. You are somebody who can do comedy. But if you can only do with one, if you, you gotta have the timing. Bad material can be worked into funniness with timing, or at least passed off as functional humor with timing. And... Again, I understand how a punchline can be made with an edit. That happens in movies all the time. But that has to be a choice of the director after the fact, and it has to be within the text of how the film is being presented, not in how the comedy performers are responding to one another. For that, you have to be in the same room. It's like the way one of my favorite bands, the RX Bandits, when they record their albums, they do record into separate tracks, and they are isolated in that sense, but they play together as a band. They don't lay down tracks because of the way that they play together. And as a fan of that band, that's something that I think is... Indis if you separate that from their sound, it's over. And I think that's true for comedy in almost all senses. So, you know, I, I don't have a bugaboo necessarily with, you know, putting an actor into a green screen room and creating this background. I like those new Jumanji movies. I know how it has to be done. We're not going to throw Kevin Hart off a real cliff. Although I get the sense he might actually try it. I know The Rock wouldn't, but Kevin Hart might. 
and a bourbon sip. But it just it, it it kept happening here where I was like, I am I am sure that these two people that are trying to have witty repartee are not in the same room. And it, it's just I feel like that's just untenable for me. That's one of those that's like shaky cam where I'm just so heavily biased against it that I can really tune out to a movie. So, you know, that said, I think that it seems a lot of people are, are really enjoying the unbearable weight of massive talent. So I don't want to dissuade you from going to see it uh, because at the end of the day, it is still sort of a, a middle budget comedy for adults being made. And that's something that I think is deserving of, of our support, but it's just, uh, it just didn't quite do it for me. Ah, didn't quite do it for me. Well, I think I might have to wrap this up guys. I appreciate you putting up with one more uh, of me ranting and raving, which got the lowest, the lowest ranking on the survey that I put out there. Ooh, ugh. But um, you know it is. Life is tough. Times is crazy. But I promise you, the next episode is going to be excellent because we do have Costa Botez coming on the show to talk about Forgotten Silver, New Zealand filmmaking, and other stuff such as that. Um, and then after that, I'm doing the deep dive, I forget if I announced it, into the career of a legendary strange person. And I hope to uh, just kind of pepper your feed with little check-ins here and there. Uh, and I, you know, w with whatever just pops out at the moment. You know, if something comes in, if I see something good and feel moved to talk about it. So again, make sure you like, subscribe, follow everything at Movie MovieCast on all of the things. Check out ScullyVision.com. Check out MovieJohn.com. Check out Findy.com for all of the stuff that I do. I like to movie movie as part of the Movie John podcast network also if you guys are interested in my silly podcast it's called hot property and it's at hot property pod on all the things jack nicholson says check out at hot property pod it's almost as good as a coffee from poopies i love that meme the poopies all right so uh thank you guys so much for listening uh i can't think if there's anything else i did all of my plugs um, tune in next week and uh, check out the episode description for episode, I believe, 215 on Forgotten Silver as a way to see that movie for yourself before the next episode's interview. See you in two weeks. Happy Friday. Go Willow. Team Willow or Camden. I'll take it. But best of luck to all of them. We love the queens. They're nice. I'm going to go get drunk and grill.